Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Oh, please, God, make this last, the whole message. Uh, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed last week's message that Pastor Josh brought about the seasons of life when we're on the mountaintop. I was so challenged by that, how to uh, not come off that mountain crashing. And uh, the challenge was just wonderful for me. You remember the definition, maybe you don't remember the definition. Let me give you the definition of what Pastor Josh gave us for that experience on the mountaintop. It's that season in your life when your soul is completely satisfied in God. What it's like to live on that mountaintop. And uh, did you enjoy the Haitian sensation at the end of the service when he read scripture? Oh my goodness, yeah, I, I love that. We said, let's get that on the internet. Such beautiful uh, hearing the word of God being spoken by Robbie Legier, our drummer today. And uh, uh, last Sunday evening, we had our connection group and uh, Tyler Richards, who's been leading us in worship, said something that actually caused my entire plan for today. Did I do something? All right that, that uh, shifted my entire plan for today. And Tyler said something that uh, brought a little bit of concern to our group and, and to me as a pastor. He said, he feels like, and, and he thinks that this is real, and I agree with him, that as Christians, we can have a tendency to desire to only be on the mountaintop and to always be, here's what he said, always be chasing the experience of the mountaintop. And I totally agreed with him. I said, that's exactly it. So many of us want the Holy Spirit to act like a helicopter and just take us from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. When clearly in scripture, there's a season of growth in our life that starts at the base of that mountain. And it's the journey to get to the top of that mountain that makes that spiritual growth come alive and then makes that experience at the top of the mountain, that moment when you're at this incredible amount of peace and intimacy with God. It's through a journey that we take. And, and yet so many of us say, if I could just hop from experience to experience, I'd feel better about myself and I'd feel better about God. So it shifted everything I wanna talk about today. I wanna to talk about that season in your life, that season of spiritual growth. Um, of the 11 seasons of Illinois, uh, we, would, we would consider this season of life to be a season of growth, the season of spring where seeds are planted. Um, Peter talks about that in 2 second, second Peter chapter 1, but he's talking to a specific group of people. He's talking to Christians who at the moment that God saved them, have this divine nature within them. I want you to hold on to that because we'll talk about it a little bit later this morning. But I want to talk about this idea of growth. Several uh, years ago, I had this incredible summer of, of just basically uh, officiating weddings around the United States. It was so much fun. The first one was in Jacksonville, Florida. We lived in Michigan, and the first one we did was in Jacksonville, Florida. A few months later, I did one in upstate New York at Scroon Lake. A little while after that, came back and we did that in India, did another one in Indiana. 
And then the fourth one, I was all the way out in Redding, California. So in one summer, Florida wedding, New York wedding, and then California wedding. And it was incredible. We got out to Redding, California, and Julie and I went together on this one. And um, we had an extra day just to go out and do something fun. And so we had rented a car and we didn't have all day, but we had several hours. And we drove from Redding, California, over the coast and north to go to the Redwood National Forest. I'd never seen the redwood trees, the sequoias. I'd never seen them. I want to see them. And so we, we were able to get there and just get into the forest. We weren't able to go all the way to General Sherman. Uh, but, but it was incredible to see these trees. And to think that the sequoia tree, especially General Sherman, starts with this really small seed and grows into this 52,500 cubic volume tree called General Sherman that stands 275 feet high. And the diameter at the base of this tree is 25 feet in diameter. This is a massive tree. Can I let you in on just a little itty bitty secret? From that little seed, to that massive tree, that didn't happen in one season of growth, okay? That's it. Well, this happened in spring. By the time we get to the fall, look at how big this tree is. It happened over several seasons of growth. We want all of these mountaintop experience, but we don't want to put the effort into the spiritual growth that God's providing for us so that we can grow strong and we can grow tall and we can grow big in our faith. And this is what he's going to talk about. And I hope you see something in the text today. Our faith in Christ was never intended to be limited to our initial point of conversion. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me repeat it again. Our faith in Christ was never intended to be limited to our initial experience of conversion. Our faith is intended to mature. Our faith is intended to grow. But many people have professed a faith in Christ for decades. And the faith that they had the moment that God saved them is the same exact faith they have decades later. And they've not grown one moment, one season, thinking that their faith was good enough to save them, but not good enough to sustain them or to grow them. Their faith looks exactly the same as when they first confessed it. They've never spent a life, in fact, they've only spent a life walking around the base of the mountain, but never starting the journey upward in a season of growth. So Peter's going to break this down. Let me break it down in two sections for you. Uh, Peter's going to remind us who we are in Christ. He's going to do that first. And then he's going to, uh, he's going to help us, all of us who are Christians, to assess or to reassess, to ask the question, am I growing? Who am I becoming? So who I am and who am I becoming? That's what he's going to talk about in the text this morning. So let's get started. Second Peter chapter 1. Simeon or Simon Peter, a servant, or maybe your translation says a bond slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's saying a lot in the very beginning here. 
He's saying that you've attained a faith of equal standing as Peter's faith because of your faith in God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not two different people. What Peter is doing here is he's igniting the flame and reminding us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He says, God and Jesus, our Savior, so there's a confession of faith that he is my Savior, he is the Christ, fully God, fully man, Savior of the world. He said a lot in just a few moments. So, so let me share just a few things with you first. In this section, reminding us who we are, our growth, our spiritual growth, your growth, my growth begins. And you would think, of course, this is where it begins. But it begins with faith in Jesus. That moment that that seed is planted within you, the seed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That, that at that moment that that seed was planted in you, that's where our growth begins so that we can stand behind Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When you're in a season of growth, our, we need to realize that our growth begins with faith in Jesus. It's really interesting. In Luke chapter 17, the disciples were begging Jesus to grow their faith. They were begging Jesus to grow their faith. And Jesus says to them, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, in, in Luke chapter 17, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and planted in the sea and the mulberry bush will obey you. A different place in scripture says that you can say you have with that little mustard seed of faith to say to the mountain, move, the mountain will move. Now we've struggled with that over the years. What is, what is Jesus saying there? That if I bolster my faith, I can move a mountain. If I bolster that faith, I could say to a tree, uproot yourself and get into the river and plant yourself in the middle of the river. Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying with this little itty bitty seed of faith, when it is connected to the gospel, when it is connected to Jesus, it gives you all the power of God that you need to survive. It's not about having this faith that actually moves the mulberry tree. It's remembering that it's the power of God, it's the divine nature of God to move that. It's that, that ability for you and I to grow spiritually when we engage in God's power, which leads us to the next thing. Our growth begins with faith in Jesus, but our growth is sustained by the power of God. Verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The knowledge of God that's found 13 different times in Second uh, in Peter. And then he says this, our, our growth is sustained by the power of God. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So as this seed is planted, it's the power of God that has been granted to us, been given to us, and it's given to us in such a way that it, it pertains to life and godliness, the power to be like Christ, the power to look like Jesus. Are you growing? Am I 
growing because our growth is sustained by the power of God. That word power is the word uh, dunamis in the original language. We get our word dynamite from it. But I'd like for you to think of it differently. In fact, that word dunamis or that word power is the same word that's used when Jesus, uh, God gives the power of the resurrection of Jesus. It's that same word uh, that's found in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Same word here. But I want you to think of it differently than we, we think of dynamite. When we think of dynamite, we, we put a bunch of them, which is fabulous, or tannerite or something. We just put something in, and, and with one little uh, ignition, it just explodes in destruction everywhere. And it's this one blast that, lasts, that goes really quick. But think of the power of God more like gasoline than dynamite. The power of God is the fuel that allows you to take a long journey with him. That's the power. You're not going to go anywhere without gasoline. And you're going to go even less of a direction with an electric car. But that's beside the point. Uh, you're, you're not going to go anywhere without gasoline. You're not going to grow without the power of God. And he says, I, we've, I've given you this power it's granted to you for all things, not just some things, not for many things, but for all things that pertain to life. The life that Peter's talking about here is the life that Jesus talked about when he said that the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest or have it abundantly to have this life in Christ that's really worth living. That's the life that he's talking about here. He's given us by his power all things to grow that pertain to this life and to godliness. That word godliness actually means practical conduct to be more like Jesus. It's not just some devotion to Jesus. It's not some devotion to God. But it's practical life living to be like Christ. Our growth is sustained by the power of God. So our growth begins with faith in Christ with a seed. Our growth is sustained by the power of God. Here's the next one. Our growth is fortified. That's the root system in the promises of God. Our growth is fortified in the promises of God. So I have this faith, even though it might be the faith of a mustard seed or the faith of a sequoia tree, it's just this little itty bitty seed. Once it is planted, it can be fortified, it can begin a root system in the promises of God because God is a promise keeper by nature and he's never failed in any of his promises. The sequoia tree, 275 feet tall, their roots don't go down incredibly deep like an oak tree or like an ash tree. The sequoia tree, their roots go out 16, 20, 25, sometimes 30 feet wide all the way around the tree and sometimes even further. Shermans are even further out than that. Why? Because when the storms come off the Pacific Ocean, it has prepared that tree by its roots. And when the winds hit and the waves come, the tree is ready because it's well balanced by its roots. The roots of our faith are fortified in the promises of God. There's some things in God's word that he has promised you and he has promised me. In fact, this is what he says. 
His divine power, verse three, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, uh, through the knowledge of him who called us to his eternal glory, or to his own glory and excellence, by which, by which he has granted to us. This is what Peter thinks of God's promises. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Now I grew up in a church where we were like King James and King James only. Everything I had memorized all the way up through college was King James. Didn't understand it, but I had it memorized, okay? It was really, really a difficult version, but I do like how the King James says or quotes or, or writes, verse 4, translates verse 4. Verse 4 in the King James says, Whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. These promises of God are unlike any other promises. You and I make promises all the time. And I might even add, let's, if we were going to be honest with each other, you and I have a tendency to break promises. And early on with our girls, I would say something. I'd say, Daddy promises. And Julie would say, don't make a promise you don't intend to keep. We have to be very, very careful about the promises that we make because innately in us, we have the capacity to break a promise. God has never failed in any of his promises. All his promises are true and set in eternity. And it's the very basis by which our roots dig down deep and we can trust and have faith in those promises so that when the storms come, we don't get blown away like the chaff of wheat. That we can stand because we've been rooted deeply in the promises of God. Look what happens next. In verse four, so that we have these great and precious promises, so that through them, through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, that nature that God has put within you, that moment that he saved you. And here's what Peter does. He creates a contrast here. There's a life that's lived by a Christian where you are a partaker of the divine nature, or there's this life that you can live that is a worldly and sinful nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He's creating a contrast here between a person that is growing in their faith with Christ and a person who is not growing in their faith and would rather live for the world than to live for Christ. There's two natures here, the divine nature. You and I have been adopted by God our Father. And there's this nature of the world of sin and death. I like what Warren Wiersbe says about these two natures. Two things I think are really important here in talking about these two natures. First, that nature determines appetite. Nature determines appetite. Let me explain it this way. Um, pigs who are truly pigs, use their nose to eat anything they can find. They will eat slop. Then you have dogs. And according to the Bible, dogs will return and eat their own vomit. Christians are called sheep in the New Testament. And what do sheep look for to eat? green grass 
They're always looking for green grass. Why? Because their nature in Christ desires that season of growth. It desires that greener grass. An unrepentant or even unbelieving um, nature would be a nature that is set on the world and, and, and would be considered like pigs and dogs. Nature determines appetite, but nature also determines behavior. If we, so that through them, you may become partakers, users of that divine nature, who we are affects how we act. If we are truly, if we have obtained a faith where God has saved us, then we are partakers of the divine nature and who we are affects how we act. Peter said all of that in those first five verses, first four verses. Peter said all of that so that he could set up everything else that he's going to say in the text for us this morning. It's not just about who we are, but who we are becoming. So the question for you and for me today, let's ask this. Are you growing in your faith? Not did you just have a faith experience at your conversion and a seed was planted, but you've been saved for decades, and yet your life and your faith haven't grown a bit in decades because you've just been so happy to hold tightly to that seed that you're somehow converted and making your way to heaven. Now what Peter is not doing here in the text, and you'll see it here, Peter is not... Uh, um, uh, putting on equal ground this idea that you can be saved and then you also have to do these things to earn your salvation. This isn't a salvation text. This is a spiritual growth text. He's saying because of your salvation, here are some things that should be bolstered up, these attributes that should be found in the life of a Christian. This is how a Christian grows. That's what he's saying in the text here. And he starts it with verse 5. For this very reason, because of everything else that I've just shared with you, these great and precious promises, the fact that if you are saved by God, you, have, you partake in this divine nature, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Peter's making an appeal here that that's, he's saying, don't, don't allow this seed of conversion, that moment that you had, be the only time that your faith is planted in you, and then it never grows. He's telling you, Christian, make every effort to see your spiritual life grow. Put the effort in. Put the time in to, to cultivate, to water, to weed it. And he gives us several different ways to do that. And we'll get through these real quickly this morning. But for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Supplement. What does he mean there? It's a really interesting word. In the original language, it was used in, in a, to, to give us a really clear picture of what he's meaning here. Uh, uh, when dramas were put on back in the day of Peter, when he wrote this, when dramas were put on or theaters were put together, they were expensive back then. They're expensive now as well. But they were expensive back then, and they couldn't afford to do dramas. They couldn't afford to do theaters. So they would find a patron of the arts or a patron of the theater and that patron would pay for the entire drama to be played, and then that patron would take a portion of the gate. So there would be this patron of the arts, much like Raoul, the Vicomte de Chali in Phantom of the Opera. Okay, 
Thank you for the two of you that have seen that. And, and for the rest of you who haven't, you need to go back and watch that because Raul's at me. He's a great singer. Anyway, beside all of that, Raul, he was, the reason that he was brought to the opera house was because he was a patron of the arts. He was going to help fund or sponsor. So this is what the text is meaning here. Make every effort to sponsor your faith, to grow your faith. He says, how does that happen? He actually gives us seven attributes of what it looks like for a growing faith. The first five are what I call vertical attributes. They're about your relationship with God. And the last two are horizontal relationships. They're, they're based on our relationships to one another. So I'm going to talk through these uh, rather quickly. We're not going to spend a ton of time on all of them this morning. But they are attributes that you find in a person that's growing in their faith with Christ. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. The word virtue there means moral excellence or goodness. It's to know what is, to, to do what is right, to believe it, to know it, and then to follow up on it. To, virtue actually means to be above reproach. This is actually a qualification of elders and deacons in the church, that we would be above reproach. It's the same idea here. That no matter the cost, we're going to do what is right. And he says, a person that is growing is a person that's growing in virtue. And a person that is growing in virtue is also a person that is growing in knowledge. The word knowledge here is gnosis. It, it actually means um, practical wisdom, which is different than the knowledge that you see in verses 2 and 3. The knowledge of God that you see in verses 2 and 3 is this intimate knowledge and relationship that you have with God because of his divine nature in you because he has saved you. Here, the word knowledge is different. It's practical knowledge. It's taking that knowledge and creating wisdom. I saw a, uh, I saw a meme this week that says, uh, a smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether or not to say it. Okay? That is so good. And it's reminiscent of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he said, when I was a little child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put away childish things. When we grow in our faith in, during this season of growth, we grow in virtue and we grow in knowledge. We're no longer the same person. We don't act and react the same. There's this practical wisdom that begins to overtake us and then leads us to the next one. And this one's really interesting to me. Virtue with knowledge and knowledge in your season of growth, knowledge, then you need to bolster that attribute with self-control. That's a very particular term that he's using here. It's a particular term that has to do with purity, moral purity. Why would Peter put in a list of, of uh, attributes of those who are spiritually growing in a season of growth? Why would he put self-control that we, you and I would have moral purity? Why would he put that there? Because of the culture that he lived in. We could look back at these Bible times and go, oh man, today, this world, it's so bad compared to the time that they lived in the Bible. Yeah, there was persecution, but my goodness, it was really, it's really bad now. Morality, amorality, all morality in the United States today, it's terrible. This culture that we live in around the world is so terrible, and it is bad. 
But the reason that Peter has it here is because he's encouraging the Christians in the early church to take a stand on moral purity because it was actually a point of maturity in his culture if you would give in to your lust. People would think that you, are, you have a, a, a point of wisdom and maturity in you if you were able to control and live in your lust. It's not any different than today. This is why Peter wrote it down. Because a person that has the divine nature within them and are growing in their relationship with God and allowing virtue to take place and knowledge to be seeped in and to live in this life of wisdom will then also recognize that their life has to be filled with self-control, moral purity. And with moral purity or self-control comes the next one, steadfastness. Your, your translation may say endurance, which is a great translation. This idea of steadfastness is this perseverance when the seasons change. To be able to be steadfast. That when people see when the winter comes in your life, or these seasons of wilderness, or seasons of wandering, or seasons of suffering, or seasons of victory, or seasons, of, seasons on the mountaintop, that they see a person that is rooted deep in the promises of God so that they are steadfast, enduring, and persevering. And when others, Christian, when others see your ability to persevere, that's when your maturity, that's when your maturity is impressive. That's when people wanna know how in the world can you handle what you're going through. That's what people see. And then he says, with steadfastness, godliness godliness i like how david platt defined this word he says it like this godliness is a devotion to god that is manifested in both right feeling and right behavior toward him let, let me repeat that it is such a good definition of godliness a devotion to god that is manifested in both right feeling this is a favorite phrase of julie's and mine right Right thinking leads to right behavior, leads to right feeling. And David Platt puts it in a definition, a devotion to God that is manifested in both right feeling and right behavior toward God. Then Peter makes a switch. He goes from these vertical attributes that can be seen in a person that's growing in their faith in Christ to seeing these horizontal attributes come to fruition. And the first one, he says, is brotherly love. Kindness, courtesy, care, generosity. That's what brotherly love is. And in this text, it actually is the word phileo, which we hear, get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's the same idea here, that when Christ is growing in us, it should lead us to a place of kindness, generosity, and courtesy toward others. That's what people should see in us. Am I growing? Am I in a season of growing in my faith in Christ? Because it will lead to the final attribute that he gives and it's the biggest one of them all. It will lead to love. And he's not talking about phileo, brotherly love here. He's using the word agape here. He's using the word God love. He's saying as these attributes play out, the greatest of these is an agape love, a sacrificial love 
that God showed toward us and gives us the capacity through his divine nature in us to love people the same exact way that God loves us. If you're going in Christ, this is part of the trip to the mountaintop. That we would be filled with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, goodness, brotherly love, and love. Let me read verses 8 and 9. Because there's two possible outcomes to what everything that Peter has been saying. Two possible outcomes. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours, qualities we just talked about, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So get it? You can't just have them. You can't just start the seed. If those seeds are in you and they are increasing, they are growing, they keep you from being, and he's really nice here, but the text in the original language isn't. These attributes, if they are growing in you, will keep you from being useless and unfruitful. <laughs> those are strong words from Peter. Who in the world wants to live their Christian life in a useless, unfruitful way? Sign me up. I just, I, I want my faith at conversion and nothing else. I don't want, I don't want to grow. I just want to be useless. I just want to come in and sit in a seat. I just want to live my life the way I want to live it. Or, or, or what if, what if we, because there's an option here. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, the seed has been planted, but they've never grown. You are so, this is strong, you're so nearsighted that you're blind. Having forgotten that Jesus has cleansed us from our former sins. What drives us to these attributes? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's because what Jesus did on the cross for me, that drives me to the desire to make every effort to supplement my faith with these things because I know who I am without Jesus. And I know who I am with Jesus. And I don't want to live a life of unfruitfulness. I need to finish things out. Peter doubles down in verse 10. It's almost like he sums everything up in verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Be all the more diligent to confirm your relationship with God. Be all the more diligent to confirm your salvation because God has divinely worked that in you. And while God has done that, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Practice. You don't just get these qualities and let them sit. You practice them. But please, no, Peter's list isn't just these seven. We, we, we know that, right? These aren't just the seven virtues of a Christian. We know that because in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul wrote these attributes of a Christ follower. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Don't think that once we have these down, that we don't have to practice them anymore, or that these are the only seven. Don't limit 
your season of growing to just this list. And, and then Peter does something just absolutely beautiful for, for us. All of this effort, all of this diligence, everything that we put forth in allowing God to grow our faith in us leads to something spectacular. I've underlined verse 11 in my Bibles to be a, in my Bible to be a constant reminder to me. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This effort that we're putting forth isn't for this life here. It's for the moment when we enter eternity in heaven and we see Jesus face to face. What in the world would that look like? I'm about to make some Cubs fans really, really happy in this moment. Because just a couple of years ago, the Cubs won the World Series, right? I'm not a Cubs fan, but I can tell you, I stood behind my couch after the rain delay, and I am jumping up and down. I, I am such a Ben Zobris fan. I, I mean, I am so worked up. There's no way I'm going to go do anything. I wanted to go to bed because I'm preaching the next day. I couldn't go to bed. I want, I so, I want the Cubs to do it. I was so excited for the Cubs to do that. They won the World Series. See, now it's all old hats here. Yeah, well, we want another one. Okay, but, but let's go back to that moment. My daughter, uh, Olivia, um, skipped school in, in college. You know that, that uh, university where Julie and I are putting a whole lot of money and we're paying for all of those classes? She skipped those classes. She got on a train, single college girl with about a million other people, and I have a couple of pictures of what it was like uh, down there. She went to the parade. I'm like, what, what are you doing? I can't, I cannot guarantee your safety down there. Dad, I just want to be a part of the experience. And, and so here, this, if I could, and this is a lame comparison, would you imagine that moment when this life is done and we've given our very best effort to grow in our relationship with Christ? And, and we're getting to the place where we'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. If the streets of heaven are lined like this, where people are cheering and yelling as you enter the kingdom of heaven, what that's going to be like, this richly provided moment for you. When you get to heaven, it's not like when 10 of us get there. This one's for you. It's richly provided for you. We don't live for this day. We live for that day, which is going to look way better than that moment when this crowd got all around in this park. Imagine we're at this place and we're entering heaven. This is my mind, okay? <laughs> not, not, the, not revelation, just, just my mind is thinking about that, that time that took place in Chicago. And they all get to this Central Park area. And, and then there's this massive stage. And at the massive stage, there's Jesus. And Jesus is sitting on his throne. And the moment that I enter heaven in a fanfare like this where people are cheering for me, Jesus stands up. And he says, Jared, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've made it to the kingdom. That's what we're living for. Why are we living for tomorrow? This is why we're growing. Are you growing? 
You can take your Bibles and, and uh, close them this morning. You live long enough and uh, you're going to experience different seasons of life. Some of those seasons are going to be dark. Some of those seasons are going to be scary. Some of those seasons will be joyful. They'll be exciting. They'll be new. You're going to have seasons filled with waiting. You're going to have seasons filled with wandering, not having a clue of what God is doing. You're going to have seasons of wondering what's next. But if you follow Jesus, he has planted that seed of faith in you. He's giving you every opportunity because of the divine nature in you for you to grow in Christ. What an uh, an incredible opportunity that is to not just let our faith always be this itty-bitty little mustard seed of faith. Um, About two months ago, uh, I was actually listening to Christmas music and uh, came across a song that is incredibly poetic and the picture uh, that this group that who wrote it uh, the picture of it is absolutely stunning I would actually use the word stellar it spoke volumes to me and the title of the song is actually called seasons and so I I went to Pastor Nick I said listen I've heard this song I realize it's a little bit older Um, I would really like for it to be sung at church and um, he was very kind, and he said, I'll put uh, Tyler on that immediately. And uh, so they, they have worked on it for me today. What I would like for us to do in this moment is for you just to sit there. The words are going to be up on the screen. And, and understand, it's very poetic. But understand the meaning as you listen to this song. It has everything to do with the seasons of life that you and I are going through. Listen to this. <clears throat> 